or brand. I'm your host, Guillermo Bravo, and today we're discussing full funnel marketing, how to marry your cannabis events with your digital marketing strategy. This week, we're joined by Tara Falk, founder at Aim and Fire, whose experience as an event producer and experiential marketing consultant provides structure and guidance for cannabis brands and retailers looking to take charge of their events and their future relationships with their customers so they feel more value before, during, and after an event. Welcome to the show, Tara. How are you? Thank you so much, Guillermo. It's fantastic. I've been looking forward to our conversation for the last couple of weeks, so thank you for having me on to talk about this. Oh, excited to have you on. Excited to have you on. Um, before we kick it off today, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, MediaGel. MediaGel is the leading marketing platform helping cannabis brands reach consumers through their compliant ad network with real-time reporting and analytics dashboard uh, that shows you conversion tracking through every step of the customer journey. Shout out to me, Joe. <clears throat> so Tara, let's kick it off. I mean, you have a ton of experience helping brands and retailers set up their set up for success for historic events and conventions. Can you tell us where cannabis brands may be missing the mark with their booths or their setup and suggest areas of improvement? Absolutely. Um, when I first started working in cannabis after mm -hmm. a career in traditional CPG marketing, um, everything from food and beverages to Auto and beauty. I first uh, fell in with my first uh, brand in cannabis. I noticed that there was a generally lower standard of presentation in this emerging industry um, in a in a consumer facing way than I was used to. So that is really the opportunity that I saw to come and implement some of these operating procedures and uniformity that I know to be kind of second nature in what I've been doing for the last uh, 10 years or so. So the types of things that I was noticing were just sort of like untidy, untapped um, supplies not being properly managed and kitted. And, um, you know, everything from like lack of branded table coverings to, you know, staff that's not being uniforms that aren't uniformed, uh, so just small things that are distracting and prevent people from really focusing on the information that's being presented, even if it's subtle, even if it doesn't seem like a huge deal, those things really do uh, translate to, you know, quick snap judgments that might make people infer, you know, one way or another. Thing from those small mistakes to lack of training on um, the brand and the target place, the staff that are in the field to represent brands, they are provided with a range of materials, um, and in some cases, more than others. So those were the types of things that I was noticing, and that I spent a lot of time now working with brands to um, develop their new brand. Okay. And what do you mean seeing somebody, you mentioned distractions, right, and staying focused uh, for your booth. What are some of the most common distractions that you've seen that people put at their booth or where, or if it's simply consuming cannabis at the booth, you know, that could be a Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we all have our, our main distraction, you know, in our hands, in front of our faces, in our pockets all the time. We're all Hell looking yeah. <laughs> yeah. on So, you know, if you approach a booth and the rep is on their phone, you know, you don't know if they are, like, giving feedback, like, to a manager or, like, doing something that needs to be done or if they're just, like, not interested in meeting your days and talking to you. So the main distraction that I notice with reps in the fields are 
being on their phones, especially like in dispensary accounts, I get a lot of feedback about that from the people scheduling those demos and the bud tenders in store. Um, so I noticed that people, like if we're not doing that, when our reps are not doing that, we get instant positive feedback, identifying that as being different than part for the course. Because I think that's something a lot of people do if there's downtime, if there are not people currently at the booth, they're getting other work done, but that kind of closes you off and makes you inaccessible to people that might want to approach and start a conversation. So it's something I try to be really aware of and make sure that my staff is really aware of. Um, but other distractions, I mean, there are lots of things that will keep people clear of your booth. I'm personally not a huge fan of the spin the wheel and win a prize tactic. <laughs> it's kind of just like a canned, uh, a canned option, and I think we can be a little more creative than those things. Um, I'm also a vocal, um, a vocal opponent of the booth babe uh, tactic. I spend uh, a great amount of energy kind of fighting against what's been done in many other industries, but definitely still in cannabis where we just uh, put some pretty women in place and give them like as little clothing as we can and think that that's going to attract people to the booth because they're attractive women. But that's just um, something that I think that we've moved well beyond at this point, at least we should have. So if there are brands that are still doing that, I think it speaks really negatively um, to their potential customers and to their employees as well, because that's just not how you value people for what they're really bringing to the table professionally. And, you know, knowledge about the brand and product is the most important thing. Yeah, and I've seen that it's a little more, um, I guess, at a few events where the country has come and called flowers is usually to attract girls in a bikini or something, trying to get you in to buy, to, to get you in as a retailer to buy a brand, right? And and I have been going to events since 2014 in cannabis, and I have seen the evolution of this. And it did, it's heavy in California, number one. Uh, I don't see this as much in, you know, in some of the other states, especially LA, uh, mm -hmm. which is, I think, the fact of that, anyways. <laughs> so um, I've seen the evolution, right? And it depends on if you're selling products or if you're a retailer or if you're a tech company, like there's, time and place for things. And if, like you said, if that's how you want to present your brand, mm -hmm. like it's, you know, it's 2022 now. It's like, you know, we have attractive, outgoing people that know their stuff, that have yeah. all of the tools at their disposal to be successful in those roles. But what I'm referring to are situations where there is no more equipment than the little outfit provided to people. Yeah, um, got it. For example, um, I was at an event just last weekend and I approached one of the only brand activations in the room. It was a cannabis brand's Halloween party and there was a genetics company set up along the side of the room. And I always network with the brands on site when I go to yeah. events. So I approached the booth to see what they were offering or what the deal was or they wanted some of my data or how I could engage. And the young woman that they had staffed at the booth literally winked at me and said, yeah, they're great. As if to say, I don't know anything about this brand, this product. I can't really have a conversation with you about what they offer, what my goals are here. I'm just holding it down. And she was, you know, seated and she blended in with everyone else around her. There was nothing to identify her as a representative of the brand. 
So for all purposes, there was no one there for me to talk to and like no information that I could have, um, you know, acquired from her to follow up. She had no proper funnel to the person at the company who would be able to provide me with that information. And it's really just a missed opportunity. A lot of people saw the name and saw the brand, um, but nobody got any valuable information or any pitch whatsoever. And those are just, like I said, missed opportunities. Yeah, that all comes down to education and training, right? So if you're not trained, number one, on the hiring, before that, the hiring process, right? Hire the right people and train them specific to whatever product, brand, genetics, the source, like whatever is important for that product category. I mean, you should have that available, at least on the phone where you can take a look at it. Like, here's my checklist and bullet points of things. This is all basic marketing sense. Some people are probably tools. You do more harm than good a lot of the time. And that is an expense. There's usually a sponsorship fee associated with these yeah. events. You have to pay the staff. And you wind up expending significant resources to make negative impressions if you don't train properly and you don't, you know, send people out with what they need to be successful in those roles. Yeah. And what can brands do to set themselves apart from their competitors when visiting a dispensary and engaging with customers? I really think you have to be uh, hyper specific about the type of people that are representing the brand. Um, like you said, hiring is the first um, first step. You have to hire the right people. You have to have people that are consistent with the image and the values that that brand is uh, propping themselves up behind. Um, you also have to think about things like um, what everyone else is doing. For example, everyone in the dispensary has got very similar premiums for the most part. They're handing out the same kinds of products, lighters, papers, things of that nature. And I encourage brands to get a little bit more creative and brand specific with the items that they're handing out. Make sure these are things that folks are going to keep and incorporate into their daily lives as a reminder of that experience especially for bartenders too, because bartenders um, really enjoyed the conversation with Luna about bartenders being uh, kind of like your outside sales team. And you want to equip those people with um, gear to sell your product when you're not even in store for promotions. And if you do that correctly with bartender trainings and with staff that knows to engage the bartenders when traffic is slow on the dispensary floor, then you can make sure that they are you know, effective ambassadors of your brand in that role and in any other roles that they may come to hold throughout their careers in cannabis. Um, but uh, I think that having that training and having those uniform kits, making sure the staff really understand like all of the goals beyond just, you know, say this, when people walk up to you, say that, there's a lot more that you can do to be effective. You can like work on elevating the merchandising, you can talk about better shelf space, you can, you know, uh, even like I spend a lot of time just studying other product when I'm in the dispensary so that I can speak with people about what's really going to meet their needs. Yeah. Because I think um, it's not, again, it can be a negative impression to just try to sell people on what you have at the moment if it's not right for them. So I have someone who really cares about the right product for people because I think the way we're going to grow and advance the industry as a whole is by giving people like accurate information that's really going to help them. So I want to know where I can direct someone, if not the brand that I'm currently representing. I want to have like a wider context to be able to point them 
in a direction that's going to solve the problem that we're looking to solve. Yeah, and you know, a lot of that is self-education. I know that the bartenders are on the front line. You know, they're they're really the face of your company. So really invest in them as a retailer and as a brand. I build a relationship with the bartenders, incentivize them, invent them, invite them to VIP events. Like, you know, there's brands are a dime a dozen nowadays in California. Like, what what makes you special? Like, what why am I gonna care as a bartender? Right, like uh, if I'm not, if I'm not using your products, I'm not even in the I'm doing tutorial, I'm trying to get you to you, need education. Um, Soul Train is a good platform that I would recommend that creates landing pages for brands that are educational for blood tenders. So things like that, just really be supportive. Right, so be supportive of that team, be supportive of the staff, whether it's education, whether it's digital assets, whether it's like swag, whatever it might be, and make sure that you are engaging with your customers and that you're, you're, you are leveraging like these opportunities for vendor days and other, other ways to really build your customer list and engage with them and build that relationship. There's no, there's no real replacement with that nowadays, and especially post-COVID, when people are yearning for that communication and building relationships with people in person now. So, mm -hmm. There are a few other uh, platforms I think are worth mentioning, um, yeah. like CRM platforms that are really great for connecting the sales team with the field staff. A couple of those being the rec suite and outfield and platforms that are shared by the entire team um, with account-specific information and feedback where you can open up the account specifically and see exactly who was there on what date and their notes about what they accomplished while they were in the store. And it's the PA team. That's where photos, recaps, and consumer comments go. And I'm also um, a huge advocate of putting in personal details about like blood tenders that we know in those accounts and what we know about them, like when they might be in store, and like something that we found out about them that remembering will really like go a long way. So like doing things that others are not doing. I would like for everyone to be doing these things, but the truth is they are not like yeah, and as far as brands uh, currently in the market, who do you think uh, connects? They've been selling since the mid '90s, and this is very soda. But like, I'd like for everyone to be doing these things, but the truth is, yeah. they are not. And when you do, it really makes an impact on people. Yeah, and as far as brands uh, currently in the market, who do you? COVID was COVID. And swag, whatever it might be, and make sure that you are engaging with your customers and that you're, you're you are leveraging like these opportunities for vendor days and other other ways to really build your customer list and engage with them and build that relationship. There's not there's no really replacement with that nowadays, and especially post-COVID, like people are yearning for that communication and building relationships with people in person now. So mm -hmm. There are a few other uh, platforms that I think are worth mentioning, um, yeah. like CRM platforms that are really great for connecting the sales team with the field staff. A couple of those being the rec suite and outfield and platforms that are shared by the entire team um, with account specific information and feedback where you can open up the account specifically and see exactly who was there on what date and their notes about what they accomplished while they were in the store. 
kind of the, the BAT team got to photos and recaps and consumer comments go. And I'm also um, a huge advocate of putting in personal details about like blood tenders that we know in those accounts and what we know about them, like when they might be in store and like something that we found out about them that remembering really like go away. So like doing things that others aren't doing i would like for everyone to be doing these things but the truth is they are not and when you do it really makes an impact on people yeah and as far as brands uh currently in the market who do you think uh connects best with their customers and why i recently took on more responsibility with a company called jones soda who launched mary jones uh beverages recently which is a cannabis infused version of a soda that they've been selling since the mid-90s. And this has quickly become the most successful launch that Kiva Sales and Service has ever had. They're in over 120 accounts in just 60 days. And I think the reason that Jones is such a, such a huge um, like pull for people is the authenticity and the engagement that's always been part of their brand. They provide so many opportunities for people to contribute to the image of Jones. Um, like every label on their bottles is submitted by fans of the brand. They submit photos on the website. And those labels they use as their branding on their products. So it's all community and user-generated content. And um, we're working on something really cool right now. It's called the Mary Zine. And it is a full-size magazine that will be used as a leave behind in accounts that features the creative pursuits of blood tenders and people working in the cannabis industry outside of their roles in cannabis, whether they're writers or filmmakers or musicians or graphic designers, we're featuring their work and their creative pursuits. Um, and just like allowing for a platform for people to be seen for like all of the different aspects of their personality and what they bring, you know, from their personal lives into their professional roles in cannabis, I think really speaks to people and um, we kind of hold the, the value that if you really have something good and you're really what you say you are, you don't have to try too hard to show that to people, they're going to notice. And I think that's what, what good branding really is, is, uh, you know, just giving people the, the image to see if they align with what you are or not, you know, because um, target demographics are going to be different for everybody. Obviously, not everyone loves a, a sugary soda, but but people love Jones and even people who don't drink soda, they recognize and they love Jones and they have some kind of nostalgic experience or, you know, positive memory that was associated with the product. So that's really, really valuable and something that I think that um, new brands need to work to build is like that lore and that like long-term story of how we bring more people into the work that we're doing in like a tangible way, not just by them buying the products, but by them contributing to what the brand is. Yeah, and there's the, uh, you know, branding is important, right? I mean, branding is the promise that you're making with your audience. It's that unique story uh identity uh and it's really important for cannabis and you can see that with jungle boys cookies some of these other brands that as soon as they go into the new market like they sell out there's mm -hmm. a line they have a cult following and it's it's really important and there's that what's the uh water company they just gotta raise a bunch of money the uh, liquid death yeah liquid death yeah they're like 700 million valuation so that alone just should tell you that branding for 
is really important, especially if it's for water in a metal can, you know, it's like. And Liquid yeah. Death, they've taken a very similar approach in just supporting communities that they want to be, you know, representative of. They just place that product like directly in the hubs, including many of the cannabis events, production houses and agencies that I work with. Many are partnered with Liquid Death and Liquid Death is putting the product there for a very specific reason to speak to, you know, the creatives and the, the gathering places. And I think that's so smart. BSC audience, what are some of the goals uh, that you would set beforehand? Um, based on how many people are attending, I would set some goals about how much data you want to capture, how many people you want to connect with um, to add to an email newsletter, um, or just like collect feedback about your product and just kind of development ideas, maybe identify some people for potential partnerships if there are other brands and companies expressing like real alignment and interest in what you're doing and where your brand is headed, it can be really valuable to identify some opportunities to cross promote or do some um, collaborative campaigns, um, things like that. Yeah, I would always spend a lot of time, I would say the, like the two weeks before the event, just seeing if I can get an index of all the brands, all the retailers that are going to be there. If you're attending like an MJ Impact, they actually have apps like Benzinga as well. They have an app where you can reach out to people if you're an executive or you want to set up a meeting. So there's a lot of stuff that you can do before the event too to, to just make it you know, as successful as possible. Uh, another thing I typically do is I engage with the people I want to connect with on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Instagram. Uh, the two most effective that I found of just reaching consumers and uh, these B2B professionals, executives, like everyone's on Instagram. So, and most cannabis professionals are on LinkedIn. So I typically use those to, to find uh, opportunities of, of people I want to meet with on the, on the sales side and branding side. But if you're attending like... If you're if you're intending like an investor focused event, what are some of the goals you would set and how would that be different than let's say like a Hall of Flowers or MJ Viscon? Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, like regardless of the type of event you're attending, even if I'm attending an in-store demo, I often find myself in conversations that are kind of more like investor focused because people are out in the world and they're out in the wild and you never know who you're gonna be talking to. So I think that at all times it's really important to have like a dialed in like mission statement and core values and like long and short-term goals of the company they speak to um as well as just kind of like a personal and business pitch perfected just being able to confidently and clearly speak to what you do at the company and what the company does within the wider context of the industry and like what we hope to do and change and be i think are all really really important things and that doesn't just apply here i think that applies for everyone everywhere those are really valuable skills to hone um so i spend a lot of time also um, making sure that the ambassadors i send into the field understand that and can communicate with people at the high level and investor events as well as you know customers coming into the dispensary that might not have ever heard of the brand before 
Yeah, and especially at these events, just know your audience. Right. Right. Just like know who you're speaking with at these investor events. Maybe there'll be there'll be people in money, or there'll be executives, or there'll be people that maybe want to partner up with you. So just know your audience and have your pitch ready for all the different audiences, right? Like your yep. five second, 30 second, or a minute and a half pitch. Uh, have that ready and you know, memorize that. Work with your team to um, come up with questions or objections and, and responses to all those so that you have a good game plan when you're talking about your, your product, your service. And anytime someone has something, any anything to say, positive, negative, have a rebuttal ready and, and practice before and be prepared. Uh, That's key. It is also a unique challenge I find in the cannabis industry because our industry events don't look like a lot of other industry events. They are (laughs) a lot more casual and laid back and people come with all, you know, backgrounds and flair and like personal style. And it can be hard for the ambassadors to identify like executives and decision makers as opposed to just like event attendees that are there to have a good time and smoke a joint and have a drink. Um, so it's a real like gap to bridge to get people in the mindset where they're understanding that even though this guy seems pretty chill, he's like very, very, very important and like a high level decision maker at, you know, a company that, that we hope to have a business relationship with. So there's like cats flying around all over the place. I'm sure it's going to be um, highly entertaining um, video recording. So yeah, it's no just um, something that the ambassadors, and that's another thing, I try to make sure that the staff that we have like coming into these settings is really um, like comfortable working in that kind of a setting where it is kind of an ambiguous environment where everyone is responsible for themselves and their own goals and their own objectives um, in that setting. So it can be a real challenge to keep people like on task because that is like an easy environment to get distracted in. Exactly. And what about if you're there to connect with retailers and expand into new markets? What would you be your goals in that uh, in that instance? We'd want to identify the buyers, of course. We'd want to know how many buyers are attending the event, which companies these buyers are coming from, um, and hopefully reach out to these people ahead of time and set some meetings and some times for them to come by and connect directly. Um, but if not, just uh, making sure that we can identify even other representatives of those companies who could link us with the buyer or, you know, whatever we need to do to hopefully set some meetings while we're there or um, get, get connected. Exactly. <laughs> and now that you have you know, the events that you want to attend, whether it's B2C, B2B, uh, and all your goals, it's time to engage and build relationships with your audiences, right? Uh, so pre-event promotion is key. You know, what are some of the ways uh, to get eyes on your business pre-event or engage with other businesses that are going to the event as well? Yeah, most events that will happen, um, they will come out with some kind of a flyer or a write-up about uh, the programming and uh, you know, dates, times, entertainment, other brands will be listed on the flyers. And it can be really worthwhile to, you know, make a big play to follow everyone else who will be involved and start liking and commenting and sharing the promotion that your other, um, the the peers in, of yours in the space 
partner sharing, that's a very supportive thing to do. And most of the time people will return the favor. So it's a really easy way to get some cross promotion. Um, you can also share information about where your booth will be located or what you'll specifically be offering at the event, as well as what other brands will be offering. If you're in the know about those things, you can hot link to your website so that people can like look around at your product offerings beforehand and come in with some knowledge um, already off the bat about what it is that you do. Uh, like we talked about, you can schedule some meetings in advance if you know of people that are in the area or who could be in the area, it's always worth uh, reaching out to invite people specifically to come out and see what you're up to because so often um, we can get a lot more done in person than we can, you know, sending emails and DMs back and forth. Um, a lot of the time, if you can just get five or 10 minutes with someone in person, you can really uh, close something down in a much firmer way. Um, you can also consider like inviting influencers and content creators and people with wider reach that can um, return assets that can be leveraged after the fact. But that's kind of something that you have to arrange in advance uh, to have people like that around um, to kind of tell the story of what's going on on site. Wonderful. And as far as, you know, advertising for both uh, B2B and then B2C audiences. Can you discuss kind of like some of the different marketing and advertising you can do for both and how those will be different depending on your goals? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, you can do email marketing and text blasts for both B2B and B2C, um, marketing. Um, the content is going to be different just because of the, the knowledge level and the unique goals of each, um, you know, you're not going to be sending like information about your products and their retail prices and promotions out to your you know retail partners selling those products but you might send them information about like limited time offers or you know new SKUs that might go into um into rotation and things like that um there's also like seo and um you know paid paid ads and things like that that are going to be effective just for like wider brand awareness um, that reaches your b2b folks as well as your b2b your b2c folks like on social media and on these um, business platforms that we're using wonderful and as far as uh during the event what are some of the creative ways that brands and retailers can engage with their audiences you know in person I think it's really important to prioritize real-time posting and sharing from events for the folks that can't make it or um, just like the folks who are on site who want options to share uh, content that they're in or content that's relevant to them or experiences that they're having like in the moment. I think having someone designated on site that's logged into the social media channels or that has a direct line to someone on site and posting those things as soon as possible, as soon as they're happening, um, even before someone has time to go through and like edit and create a more uh, detailed in-depth recap. That's um, something you can do on site um, and always should for sure. And I don't think that people utilize that practice quite enough um, and taking high quality photos that you can bank and use on social media for months to come. And that's another thing we talk about a lot with Mary Jones, they want all of the branding and the imagery that people see to be folks from the trade. They want them to be like 
familiar faces that you recognize that you can say like, oh, hey, there's Guillermo, there's Tara, there's, uh, you know, so-and-so from such and such company. And we all start to, you know, know each other a little better that way. Agreed. And one I always like to, one trick I always have up my sleeve is live videos. When you're at events, live videos, like, are key because there's so many distractions when people are scrolling through their feed. You know, people have thousands of friends nowadays on their social media. And in most cases, they're not going to see your posts or your stories because you just have too many accounts in there. You know, live is a great way to just jump to the front because live is going to show up in the beginning of your feeds, especially if you're on Instagram. I get notifications when people go live on certain platforms, like people that I'm yeah. just loosely connected with, I get a push notification if they go live. And I'm pretty likely to open that up because I like to know what's going on. So I think that's a great tip. Agreed. Agreed. And then, yeah, in addition to that, we, we all know uh, how important, you know, first party data is to capture when you're at these events. Uh, and this is where you have media gel excels. And if you don't capture someone's like name, email, phone number, like how, or social media accounts, like how do you plan to reconnect with them and then retarget them? So like what, Tara, what are some of your favorite ways and methods uh, for capturing first-party data from consumers for your brand? I think that a simple Google form is still okay. one of the best ways to get that quickly and painlessly. Um, I find that, um, having people that are really like good with their hands and willing to input this information for people like quickly and politely and without making it a task, you know, like that is a pretty involved role on site and people, um, you know, if you pass off an iPad or some kind of like digital device to someone, a lot of the time they won't want to do that. They won't want to give their information. They won't want to um, go through the motions and fill in all of those like fields, but if you have someone that's willing to do that for them, that's just conversationally asking them, what's your name? You know, what company are you with? Would you mind if we got an email address to follow up about insert thing that is definitely relevant to them, you know, so it doesn't seem like we're just tossing them on the list to receive, you know, two to three to four to five emails a week. People don't really want um, to get spammed, but if you can make it clear that it's going to be relevant to them and that it's worth connecting about, I think it's so much easier to walk people through that process. So I always encourage people to honestly just be um, hospitable and uh, willing to, you know, do the legwork for people. So um, there are other ways to capture that data. There are apps, countless apps. You can create your own app. You can brand it. You can do whatever you feel is necessary, but I think a Google form that's just queued up and ready to be, you know, submitted and refreshed is totally sufficient. Uh, yeah. And those things go really cleanly over to a spreadsheet where you can work with the data. Um, that's my favorite way, but um, I also, also highly encourage like social follows. It's really easy yeah. to get people to whip out their phone and just offer them something small for following the brand. Most of the time they'll remain, um, remain followers. So that can really pay off too. Yeah, agreed. Um, when you're doing this too, you should definitely have a marketing opt-in message that they check. So not only do you capture their name, email, phone number, but then you also got their permission to advertise them, you know, advertise to them long-term. So that's a key thing to remember. 
There's a lot of laws around this that if they don't opt in, you can actually get fined for sending someone a text message. And it's $15,000, I believe, per text message. So it's not something you want to mess it around with. So definitely make sure that you're compliant when you're doing this, that you're getting the opt-ins. And I know companies like Spring Big, Alpine IQ, Happy Cabbage, I know they have forms that you could just embed on a page or a website. So instead of even managing these client details, they could just directly go into your CRM. Uh, so you skip that step of the spreadsheets and everything too. So like whatever, whatever you can do to, to capture customer information, but also you need to be aware of the privacy concerns and everything kind of going on nowadays and people have to opt into everything. So, right. And we have to be very careful that field staff that may or may not um, be trained in detail on aspects like that, you have to make sure that they're not opting in on their behalf and skipping yeah. steps and just kind of going through the motions or just assuming that it's cool just to get that extra little bit of uh, data in. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's also something that I'm always deterring people from doing. You've got to ask. You've got to make sure they see it. Um, because uh, like you said, that is a huge fine. 15000 per text message is nothing to scoff at. So very important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm just thinking the post event as well, like getting people's information in person, getting their social media following, that's a great start. Uh, if you do get their social media following, there's a way that you can use stories, QR codes, swipe ups to actually convert them to, a, you know, to opt into your CRM. So there's some ways that you can convert people over there as well. So social media is important and it's probably the it's the lowest barrier to entry to, to get someone's Instagram, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. what's your Instagram? What's your LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. uh, and then go from there. <clears throat> and then post-event, uh, how do you stay connected with them and how do you communicate with them? And what do you do on the follow-up to engage with them, uh, Tara? Yeah, I think a personal email from the, the actual individual that they met on site is a really um, important touch after an event, especially if any sort of like, real connection was made or there is follow-up um, that clearly needs to be done. I think that should probably go to everybody that came by the booth and was physically met up with. But I think that, you know, just sending a personal note to say that it was uh, nice to meet. And I am not a big fan of like copy and paste. Everyone gets the same email. So these should be handwritten. These should be um, coming from the person that was like there on site that had the conversation. Um, or if that was a brand ambassador, it should be like a detailed um, report that's coming through about like what was discussed and like what we can do to um, further that discussion. Um, as well as more of the pre-event strategy of liking, sharing, commenting on relevant things that are coming from others that were there um, keeps you top of mind for people and like reminds them about you know ways that they could uh, utilize whatever it is that you're offering. Yeah, and I've, I found it really effective. I guess one thing I forgot to mention is to have a QR code on your phone or as your wallpaper and you just pull that up and boom, you share that with people and, and then you get their information. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because I have found that text messaging has been the most effective you know, communication method for me to, to build a relationship to, uh, if I get that information in person, uh, I saw this at one event, but I had a friend of mine that would take selfies 
So a selfie of you and that person and put that as their profile picture so that you know who it is. And then just text messaging in general, I think that's the easiest way to get a hold of anyone nowadays. Social media, you have distractions. Email, you have distractions. Text message, yeah, you have them. But even Apple, you know, they separate separate out your uh, contacts versus people that are not in your contacts. So it's really challenging for, for you to get a hold of someone nowadays. And I found that just text messaging in general has been by far the most effective. And it's just the most personal too, right? Like, you have someone's phone number. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Um, I am someone who really likes for calls to be scheduled, which can be difficult um, because when I schedule a call, I try to make sure that I am really truly like stationary and clear around that call because as someone who works in the field, I'm, you know, covering like hundreds of miles in a given day sometimes. So, um, try to be safe and not text and drive on the road. It definitely happens occasionally, but I try to uh, deter myself in any possible way. So I definitely prefer text too and get back to them um, quicker than most other other avenues, but agree. Yeah, I've had people hunt me down on WhatsApp and Signal and all these other apps. So it's not just text messaging. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like if you want to get a hold of someone, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of channels nowadays. And it becomes interesting when you're connected with someone across multiple channels and even like fairly personally to the extent that you could just call. And we all still find ourselves like bopping around to different platforms. You know, like I can think of people that in a given week I speak to them on Slack, WhatsApp email text we call you know so i think that there's also something to be said for like at least within your team figuring out what your what your spaces are like what your workspaces are but that's kind of a different conversation i think that, that we've got a lot of options mm -hmm. exactly exactly and yeah just to recap you want to make sure that you're prepared for these events and you want to make sure that you maximize your time at these events and you capture whether you're doing sales, uh, you know, those contacts in your CRM or on the B2C side, if you're building up your customer list, really make sure you have the technology and the training and the team in place to, to make it the most effective event that, you know, you know that you attend in cannabis because it's, it can be quite expensive. Uh, and yeah, we covered a lot today is of the, uh, the different types of events, B2C, B2B, different tactics to prepare for the event pre, post, and during. Uh, so there's just a lot to think about and just make sure that you you budget for this and that you you really have the goals in place that you you want to achieve because that's you're not going there to socialize, you're going there to grow your business. Um, there is the social social aspect and networking and building relationships with people, but it's you want to make sure that you're most effective and you're documenting everything and you're saving all this information. So but before we before we jump today, let's cover a little bit, uh, Tara, about the different guerrilla marketing tactics that you can use for a brand. So, you know, I know many brands that are just starting out. You know, they don't have a lot of money. Uh, there's there's a lot of effective guerrilla marketing strategies that I've seen in the past. Is there any examples or case studies that you'd like to share with their audience? Yeah, I'm very fortunate to work with a few brands that are able to utilize sampling in their uh, guerrilla and field marketing, which is unique to cannabis because most brands cannot sample their live products in dispensaries. Yeah. You can do that at consumption events and industry events. So 
So I really do advocate for sampling. People want to try before they buy. They want to get one. My policy is to get one free. I like to show people like what I can do uh, before they enter into a binding agreement. And that's kind of what you want to do with your customer. You want to show them what you can do before you ask for anything from them. Um, but if you're not able to do that, you can achieve the same thing with a special offer and a call to action that sends people potentially into a target account to redeem the offer. You can, um, you know, you could target like sporting events and concerts and beach days with high traffic and anywhere that people are gathering. Um, as long as you're verifying age, you can have conversations with people um, directing them into a dispensary, but you do have to verify their age. So you really can't be doing this out in public where you might be speaking to like minors or um, talking to folks with an earshot of their kids. So this is probably um, better suited for uh, venues and settings that are already age-gated somehow. Um, for example, I recently saw that Major League Baseball has got their first um, cannabis sponsor. Yeah. So I'm sure there will be areas on the site, probably the, you know, beer areas, the 21 plus areas where it would be an option to, you know, engage with people and talk about those product offerings. So I'm really excited for um, more or rather like less barrier to entry to those spaces for us. And it seems to be happening uh, quicker and quicker, but we do have lots of like compliance um, factors to be mindful of with guerrilla marketing mm -hmm. and cannabis brands. So if you are an edible or an infused beverage, a non-medicated version of the product that can be sampled in dispensaries or at off-premise events is really, really helpful. Um, but if you can't do that, I would definitely encourage like special offers and promotions and clear calls to actions where people can go to try that product at a discounted rate or with maybe an extra premium offered with purchase or something like that. Or the offer could also be like an exclusive experience or something like that too. Like I've done customer appreciation parties where um, it's kind of a surprise and delight where someone enters the dispensary while this event is happening. They're directed to a secret little party around the corner that um, it's 21 plus and it's a consumption yeah. event and they're able to try a couple of other products from brand sponsors. So if um, if brands are deterred from like large sponsorship fees and coming into larger event events with multiple other brands, they can always host their own events too, which can be a lot more cost effective and you've got more eyes on your own brand and more control creatively over what that experience is going to be like. So I've worked with a couple of dispensaries to um, host our own events as opposed to dispensing, uh, like partnering with an event that already exists. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tara, for all your insights and everything that you've shared with our audience. Really appreciate it, Tara, and, uh, and looking forward to meeting you in person at some of these events. Can you tell everyone where they can reach you and learn more about uh, Aim and Fire? Absolutely. I would love to. Uh, we are very active on Instagram. That's where you can see the most like visual representation and kind of social engagement around the kind of work we're doing. I'm also active on LinkedIn. Eventually, I will get on these other platforms. I'll start tweeting. I'll, uh, you know, get on more of those. But right now, Instagram and LinkedIn, and I'm available at email, uh, Tara at aimandfire.com with hyphens between each word. So Tara at aim-and-fire.com. Thank you again, Tara. And thank
Thank you to our audience for logging in today and learning uh, about all the insights in, in regards to marketing at an event. Uh, once again, this is the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast sponsored by MediaGel, where we cover the latest marketing trends and strategies for growing your cannabis brand, delivery service, or business. Thank you again, everyone, for joining and logging in today. The next podcast will be airing in two weeks on Thursday. Um, so log in at 11 a.m. Pacific or 2 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be diving deep uh, into more marketing topics in cannabis. Thank you, everyone, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.